This is Murder Bucket. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. Tonight, we have another installment in our Last Supper series, and we will be discussing Ronnie Lee Gardner. Before we get started, let's do a quick week-slash-weekend recap. A couple of weeks ago, our best friends Shelby and Gavin got married. It was a wonderful time to be able to celebrate this with them, and we cannot wait to see how their life goes in the upcoming years. On Saturday, my husband and I and our three-year-old daughter went on about an hour and a half hike with a couple of our friends, and you can only imagine how difficult that might have been to go on a hike with a toddler. Now, the first part of the hike, I carried my daughter on our back using like one of those infant slash toddler convertible carrier things. You know, the ones where you carry the baby in the front and then when they get older, you transition them to the back. Yeah, so most of that was like super uphill or super downhill and some of it was kind of flat, but I was super tired by the time we got to the final destination And then thankfully, my husband carried her on the way back. And then after our hike, we drove a little ways to go to an apple orchard and go pick apples, which of course is always fun this time of year. The trees are absolutely gorgeous and everything is just so pretty. And then we went to a little small town in our area and kind of walked around. We got lunch and went into a few of the shops in the area. Our church recently started this series called Every Seat Has a Story, and a couple of weeks ago, a couple in our congregation shared their story about how infidelity in their marriage broke them apart and then how their faith in God brought them back together. This past week, my husband and I actually shared our infertility struggles over the past 10 years And how over those 10 years, our prayers changed, our relationship with each other grew, and the relationship that we have with God grew. So if you are interested in hearing our testimony, listening to our story, and if you are maybe going through that struggle right now in your life, or maybe did several years ago, or even decades ago, I would highly recommend you listen to it. It is the Heritage Community Church in Severn, Maryland. And it is the live stream that was shared on October 22nd. If you aren't able to find it for whatever reason, please reach out to me and I will share it with you personally. And that is enough of that. So let's go ahead and get into tonight's episode. We have our Last Supper series and we are discussing Ronnie Lee Gardner. Ronnie Lee Gardner was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, on January 16, 1961. He was the youngest of seven children to Dan and Ruth. When Ronnie was only 18 months old, his parents got divorced. Six months later, Ronnie was found wandering the streets alone in only a diaper and very malnourished. Child welfare took him from his mother and filed a failure-to-care petition only to return him to his mother shortly after. Ronnie had a rough relationship with his father. Dan constantly told Ronnie that he did not believe that he was his biological child. 
With his mother not caring for him and his father out of the picture, Ronnie was raised by an older sister but was also sexually abused by his other siblings. By the age of 10, Ronnie was addicted to drugs and found access to alcohol on a regular basis. In 1968, Ronnie's mother married Bill Lucas, and when they combined households, there were a total of nine children. Ronnie managed to get into a lot of trouble as a teenager, which put him in several detention centers, including an involuntary commitment at Utah State Hospital. While there, he befriended his brother's roommate, Jack State. When he was released in 1975, he began to live with him and his brother. Jack then became their foster parent. While living with Jack, Ronnie and his brother were forced to perform sexual acts on Jack and were also forced to work as sex workers to make money so that they could eat. Ronnie met Deborah Biscoff in 1976 and they began dating. They had a daughter together in 1977 and then a son in 1980. That same year, Ronnie was convicted of robbery and sent to Utah State Prison. He managed to escape from that prison's maximum security unit on April 19, 1981. While out on the run, he attempted to kill a man that he believed had raped his girlfriend, Deborah. Eventually, Ronnie was captured and placed in police custody at the University of Utah Hospital, but was also able to escape on August 6, 1984. During this escape, he attacked a transportation officer and forced him to take off his shackles. He then struck him in the face with such force that the officer needed wires and hardware to reconstruct his face. Ronnie then forced a medical student to take him off hospital grounds. Several days later, a postal worker found the officer's stolen gun with a note that read, Here's the gun and wallet taken from the guard at the hospital. I don't want to hurt anyone else. I just want to be free. Ronnie remained on the run for a couple of months until his unwillingness to cooperate with the law caught up with him. On the evening of October 9, 1984, Ronnie robbed the Cheers Tavern in Salt Lake City while under the influence of cocaine. He shot bartender Melvin Otterstrom in the face, which killed him. When Melvin's family held his funeral, Ronnie attended and pretended to be a childhood friend. Of course, no one bought this story. Three weeks later, after the robbery and murder, Ronnie was arrested at his cousin's home. He was held in police custody in lieu of $1.5 million bail. The trial for the murder of Melvin Otterstrom was held on April 2, 1985, and of course, to no one's surprise, Ronnie attempted to escape police custody. He was able to obtain a revolver that was smuggled into the courthouse by an unknown person. Ronnie was shot by guard Luther Hensley, but still managed to escape, and then he wounded unarmed bailiff George Kirk in the abdomen. He survived his injuries. While he was running through the courthouse, he made his way to the archives and stumbled upon attorneys Robert Mockery and Michael Burdell. Michael was shot in the eye and died from his injuries. Robert was unharmed. As Ronnie was making his way out of the courtroom, he ended up being surrounded by dozens of officers, threw the gun, and yelled, Don't shoot! I don't have a gun! Ronnie was then taken to the University of Utah's Health Service Center, where he was treated for the gunshot wound to the chest. 
Prosecutor Bob Stott believed Ronnie retrieved the gun under a water fountain on the first floor of the courthouse. The prison guards who escorted Ronnie to the courthouse were cleared of any wrongdoing by the state corrections director, William Vickery. In the end, Ronnie murdered Melvin Otterstrom, the bartender at the bar, and attorney Michael Burdell. Later on, attorney Michael Burdell's girlfriend actually advocated against Ronnie's execution. In June of 1985, Ronnie pleaded guilty to the murder of Melvin Otterstrom and received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Ronnie was found guilty of capital murder in the death of Michael Burdell and received a death sentence. An interesting fact here is that in 2004, legislators in Utah eliminated the firing squad as a method of execution, but anyone who was convicted prior to that could select how they were put to death. Only two people died by firing squad in the state of Utah since 1976. Ronnie requested to be put to death by the firing squad because of his Mormon heritage, stating this, I like the firing squad. It's so much easier, and there's no mistake. When Ronnie was sentenced, he was the youngest inmate to be put on death row. This didn't go uneventfully. Here are several things that happened during his time on death row. In February of 1987, a hearing was held because Ronnie and other inmates claimed unconstitutional confinement in unsanitary conditions with poor food. Nothing happened there. In October of 1987, Ronnie broke a glass partition in a prison visiting area and had sex with a woman who came to see him. Several inmates cheered them on and barricaded the doors so that no guards could get in. There was a guard in the room at the time, though, but Ronnie punched him so hard in the face that he fell unconscious. In 1993, Utah State Representative Dan Tuttle introduced a bill titled the Ronnie Lee Gardner Bill that proposed law enforcement officers to be permitted to shoot inmates attempting to escape whether or not that they are armed. In September of 1994, Ronnie got drunk off of alcohol that he fermented in his own sink and stabbed fellow inmate Richard Thomas with a shiv that he made from a pair of sunglasses. Richard suffered nine puncture wounds to the face, mouth, arm, and chest. Even though Richard survived this attack, Ronnie was charged with another capital crime under a 1974 Utah law reserved for prison attacks by first-degree felon inmates. The charge, however, was eventually thrown out by the Utah Supreme Court because the victim did not die. In February of 1996, Ronnie threatened to sue the state of Utah to force him to be executed by firing squad. He claimed that he was motivated by his kids in 1991 to die by lethal injection, but changed his mind. He felt as though lawmakers were trying to eliminate that option because of the state's image in the upcoming 2002 Winter Olympics. In February of 1998, the original courthouse where Ronnie escaped from in 1985 was vacated and replaced by the multi-million dollar Scott Matheson Courthouse. His escape was blamed on the open access and light security in the previous building. Greater security measures were adopted by Salt Lake City's new courthouse. 
The original courthouse was demolished in 2001. Now let's get into all the defense motions that he applied for. In 2007, a U.S. federal judge rejected Ronnie's appeal that his attorneys were inadequate because they were unable to prove that he did not mean to kill his victims. In 2010, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit Court rejected motions for appeal that were submitted by his defense. Ronnie did attempt to give up the process several times, but his attorneys continued to convince him to make these appeals. In April of the same year, State Court Judge Robin Reese signed an execution warrant ordering the state to carry out the death sentence. In June of 2010, there was a commutation hearing. According to NOLO.com, commutation is a form of clemency that reduces the punishment for a crime. It usually takes the form of a reduced or commuted prison term, but can also reduce court-ordered fines. A commuted sentence replaces the original court-ordered sentence. So during this hearing, several lawyers and medical experts tried to argue that because Ronnie got meningitis at the age of four, that illness damaged his brain. When Ronnie testified in his hearing, he claimed that he was a changed man who counseled other inmates and was interested in starting an organic farm project for the youth. His attorney presented a letter that his client wrote to Oprah Winfrey requesting funds for this project. I wasn't able to find out if she ever gave him money for this or not. I would assume no. Ronnie also tried to claim that it wasn't justifiable to execute him after so much time had passed since the crime. Assistant State Attorney General Tom Brunker argued against a clemency option stating this, Mr. Gardner was sentenced to death and earned that death penalty because of his unflagging history of violent crime. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Many of the families of the victims made impact statements, and after the Utah Board of Pardons and Parole listened to these, they declined Ronnie's request for commutation. They stated that the jury's verdict and sentence were not inappropriate. The board members cited his violent record during incarceration and questioned his effort to reform as being too little, too late. The Utah Supreme Court upheld the lower court's ruling on June 14, 2010. This rejection exhausted all remaining appeal attempts within the state. The U.S. Supreme Court turned down all final appeal attempts on June 17, 2010. State Attorney General Mark Shirtleff announced on Twitter that he signed off on the execution, stating this, I just gave the go-ahead to corrections director to proceed with Gardner's execution. Now here comes the death penalty debate. The group known as Opponents of Capital Punishment gathered outside the Utah State Capitol on the day of Ronnie's final appeal attempt. Many people from Ronnie's family, as well as Utah House of Representatives, Brian King, attended the protest. 
Bryan urged the legislator to reconsider the use of capital punishment. Oddly enough, family members of Michael Burdell were also in attendance. They appealed on Ronnie's behalf, stating that Michael was a pacifist and would have opposed the death penalty. According to Google.com, a pacifist is the opposition or resistance of war, militarism, or violence. News media arrived from around the world and raised the issue of blood atonement because of Ronnie's mention of his Mormon roots in selecting the firing squad. Some followers of Mormonism were taught that murder is so heinous that the blood of the offender must be spilled to pay for their sins. Several other denominations voiced their opposition to the use of capital punishment. A Baptist minister stated this, Violence breeds violence. It does not work. It's ineffective and it's brutalizing all of us. A Roman Catholic cardinal in Scotland described Ronnie's case as the culture of vengeance in the United States. In 2010, Kay McGliff of the Utah House of Representatives sponsored legislation to require condemned inmates to raise all appeal arguments in their first post-conviction petition. She noted that Ronnie's multiple appeals kept his case lingering on death row for almost 25 years. The bill passed the Utah House on February 1, 2011, and unanimously passed the Utah State Senate on February 17, 2011. It was signed into law by the governor on March 22, 2011. The law denies any stay of execution after a first appeal without a judicial review of new evidence or a pregnant appealant that a judge determines would have materially affected the original case. So what was Ronnie Lee Gardner's last meal? Ronnie asked for steak, lobster tail, apple pie, vanilla ice cream, and 7-Up. He was also allowed to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy and read the book Divine Justice, during a required 48-hour fast. As far as what he asked for for his last supper, I'm not opposed to most of it. Lobster tail is a fancy thing that isn't that amazing and I just don't understand the appeal. In regards to the steak, as long as you've got a good cook on it, I'm completely down with it. I can almost bet you though that the prison kitchen did not cook this steak to Ronnie's specific liking and they by no means should have or needed to. Now, the apple pie, ice cream, and 7-Up bring me back to my childhood at my grandparents' house. Something about this combination makes me think of down-home cooking, the good old days, country food, etc. You know what I mean. Now, this is something I don't understand. The fact that the prison allowed him to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy kind of boggles my mind. Like, yes, I can kind of see it in both aspects. On one hand, why would you allow someone who made terrible life choices to end another person's life to watch something that they enjoy just before they're going to be executed? They should be sitting in their cell alone, not allowed to do anything. But on the other hand, this will also be the last time this person is allowed to do anything so why not just give them this opportunity? It won't affect anyone in the long run because they're about to be executed. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Should the prison have allowed him to watch 
anything or read anything before he got executed? Or do you not really care or have no opinion on it? On the day before Ronning's execution, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints condemned the idea of blood atonement as a way to salvation. They released the following statement. In the mid-19th century, when rhetorical emotional ority was common, some church members and leaders used strong language that included notions of people making restitution for their sins by giving up their own lives. However, so-called blood atonement by which individuals would be required to shed their own blood to pay for their sins is not a doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We believe in and teach the infinite and all-encompassing atonement of Jesus Christ, which makes forgiveness of sin and salvation possible for all people. On the day of Ronnie's execution, he was visited by an LDS bishop and his family. He walked voluntarily to his place of execution and stated that he had no last words. Per his request, he asked that no one be in attendance of his execution. Instead, his family and friends gathered outside the prison at a candlelight vigil. Many of them wore t-shirts with his prison number on them. Ronnie was executed on June 18, 2010 at 12.15 a.m. Mountain Time by a firing squad at the Utah State Prison in Drapper, Utah. Officers placed him in restraints on a black metal chair with a hood that covered his face. Sandbags were placed around him to absorb the ricochets. The firing squad was made up of five anonymous volunteers who were all certified police officers. They stood 25 feet from him and aimed at a white target that was positioned over his heart. They used 30 caliber Winchester rifles that were loaded with live ammunition except for one that contained a non-lethal wax bullet. They all fired at the same time. The dark blue jumpsuit he was wearing made it difficult to see the blood from his wounds. A medical examiner removed the hood to reveal Ronnie's lifeless face. He was pronounced deceased at 12.17 a.m. He was the first person to be executed by firing squad in the United States since the execution of John Taylor 14 years earlier. His body was then cremated and released to his daughter to be taken back to Idaho with family members. This is something that I found interesting and also quite disturbing. A commemorative coin was commissioned for prison staff who participated in this execution. That to me is just extremely bizarre. Why would you commemorate something like this? What are your thoughts on that? And with that being said, that concludes tonight's episode of Ronnie Lee Gardner in the Last Supper series. Before you go, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the Break a Wish podcast. Hi, I'm Maddox Campbell, host of Break a Wish, the podcast where all your dreams come true, but with terrible, ironic consequences. Each episode, we take a magic wish. Then, my comedian guests and I try to come up with the perfect, balanced cost. We break the wish down from every angle. I think I'd rather, well, would I rather be spit on the piano? <laughs> Underwear excluded. 
I was I was right. literally about to be like, okay, we haven't talked about underwear. You but haven't I feel talked like about underwear yet. Yeah. Why are your farts visible like a cartoon? I can't answer that That's question. That's the face of yes. <laughs> yeah. Could you use your weather powers to battle the meteorologists? No. Main part of the boot. I'm not looking for anything that might surprise ruin my day. Yeah. Surprise ruin your If my day. day's gonna be ruined, I want to know about it. For more information, visit breakawish.ca or thesonarnetwork.com. What would you wish for? Thanks for listening. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all your Murder Bucket updates. 